Before we read in the scripture, let us pray. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you because we can raise a hallelujah. We can praise and glorify your name because you are worthy of all praise. Heavenly Father, this morning as we come to your word, we ask that you will open our hearts and our minds, that you will help us to receive it in our spirit, to be able to use it in our lives, that, oh Lord, this word will be life-giving word because you gave it and because you inspired it and because you speak to us through it. We ask, oh Lord, on this day that it will be a blessing to our lives and to our faith. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our scripture reading is from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 19. Hear the word of God. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision, by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink or of observing festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, dwelling on visions, puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows." with a growth that is from God. The word of God for us this morning. Paul's letters are full of wonderful imagery to help us understand deep theological truths. I guess you could say that Paul took a page out of Jesus' own book. Because when Jesus taught, how did he do it? Parables, images, Stories. Jesus used this technique all the time to explain things that were so deep and so profound that he couldn't just tell the people these truths and these theological facts. He had to illustrate them for them. And so Paul uses the same kind of strategy when he writes to his churches. 
He knew that they would understand these metaphors just like people understood the parables better than they did some of the theological things that Jesus wanted to share with them. And so he, he does that, and he uses a lot of images. And I want you to think about that, because the minute I say stories or parables of Jesus, I don't even have to give you a list. Because mentally, what did you do? You immediately went to all those parables and stories, didn't you? You started enumerating them in your mind. You started saying, I remember this one and that one and that one and that one. Yeah, Jesus did that. He taught in parables and stories. And you see, when Paul writes to the churches, in many ways, he is counting on the fact that some of them have heard the parables and stories about Jesus, and that they also have some memory of these stories and parables as they are receiving his letters. And so when he uses an illustration, I want you to understand that he doesn't just use the illustration in a void. He uses the illustration in the context of the parables and stories about Jesus that that church had probably heard in his own teaching. And so when he talks to them in this scripture about these two foundational images, pun intended, of being rooted and being built in Christ, he is expecting them immediately to think about all of the things that they have been taught about Jesus. So for example, when he talks to them about being rooted in Christ, he is expecting them to think about the parable of the sower and think about the word being the seed and the roots being the faith growing in them and, and the need for them to go deeper in the faith. And when he talks to them about being rooted in Christ, he is, he's reminding them of these images and immediately they're thinking, we understand that because we've grown things. We've had agricultural experience. We know what it means to have roots and to be sturdy and to be attached and to be living. You see, the minute you hear roots, you think alive and you think growing. Whether you want to or not, that immediately pops into your mind because we all know that the roots provide the nourishment for that plant, right? It absorbs it in, and all you might see is this much, but beneath the ground, that root system is spreading out. And if you ever see a plant after it's been pulled up, sometimes the roots will be bigger than what you get to see above the surface. And so he's immediately saying, you need to be rooted in Christ. You need to develop that strong faith that allows you to withstand all the things that life will throw at you. And you need to be able to be deep in your faith. You don't need to stay at the surface. You need to go deeper. And then the second image is about being built up in Christ. And when we think about that, we cannot help but think about Jesus as the cornerstone that the builders rejected. We cannot help but think about the idea of us being living stones, being put together to build up the kingdom of God. The images continue to come, and we begin to think about being put together as the body of Christ to build up the kingdom of God here on earth. Well, my wife has been gone for a grand total of a little bit over a week, and I've already had time to visit, you know, Netflix and all the different things that I can watch on TV. 
And there, there's crazy things you will find. And I found a thing on skyscrapers. And did you know that when you build a skyscraper, the thing that is the most important in that building is the foundation. You can design the fanciest top and the fanciest levels and all this. If you don't have a firm and a good foundation, one that is going to be able to withstand the, the shakes and the quakes and the winds and the storms and everything else that will be thrown at it, your building won't survive. And so when Paul is telling them you need to be built up in Christ, he's talking about being built up, but not just being built up in any which way, but being built up on the firm foundation that is Jesus. And like I was showing the children, if you're built on that foundation, when stuff comes at you, you'll survive. You'll make it through, and you'll not only survive, you'll be victorious in Christ. And that's good news. He says you need to be built and be rooted in Christ. So Paul wants us to develop that strong faith to ensure that that faith is firmly grounded in Jesus as Lord and Savior. So why does he start us off with that in this, in this scripture from Colossians? Because he is concerned. He is worried that they are being taken captive by philosophy, empty deceit, and human tradition. Strange beliefs that they're developing, some of them founded in different things like mysticism, Jewish mysticism, and the early forms of Gnosticism, before you get lost in all the isms. Gnosticism was the pursuit of knowledge. And it was an early heresy of the church in the sense that it said that knowing was the way to God. That only getting to know more was going to get you to God. And knowledge was heightened to the level of the supreme goal, you know. And it's not that knowledge is bad. I mean, we all love philosophy, right? Wisdom, love of wisdom. That's a good thing, right? But it's not a good thing when we love it more than we love the Lord. It's not a good thing when we think that that is the end-all, be-all our relationship with Christ. Knowledge puffs up. So Paul is concerned that, that they're being taken captive by, by these strange philosophies that are coming in, and some of them were teaching things that were contrary to the basis of the Christian faith. And I'll give you an example. Jewish mysticism tended to separate God as creator from its creation and say that God was spirit, so holy and so great that he couldn't mix with the material world. And if God created the world, he created the world and kind of set it in motion, and he was more like a clockmaker that sets it going and walks away. And these people in Colossia were accepting this as fact. And the problem with that is that where does that leave Jesus as the incarnate God among us? Where does that leave Jesus as God in the flesh? It's not possible based on that belief. 
And you see, they were being captivated by all of these human traditions that were, that were being shared that said that God was separate from the material. So then it didn't matter what they did with their bodies. It didn't matter what they did in the material world. It was all about the spirit. And Paul said, this, this is not right. You should not be held captive by this human's traditions. It was interesting discussing this with my daughter who said, Dad, human traditions are just peer pressure from dead people. I was like, wow, that'll preach. Human traditions that are just based on human preferences and human understandings that lack the wisdom of God are just peer pressure from dead people to follow things that might not be of God at all, but are painted as such, are sold and packaged as such. And then we impose them on other people as God's word for you when God never ordained that. Denying the incarnation of Jesus puts in serious jeopardy our whole Christian faith. It's like knocking out the whole foundation of what we believe Jesus came to do as the Son of God who took our sin to the cross. Or you see, nobody else could have done it but God. No human being by themselves could have paid the price. Only God could do that. And if Jesus wasn't God, then we, we are the most to be pitied, as Paul said somewhere else. Paul makes it clear that the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, and he has the ultimate authority. He is Lord over all things, and this is not something that Jesus has to achieve. This is something that Jesus already is, and it's something that we as Christians have to declare by faith is so. And to put that into question is to put our whole salvation at risk. Then Paul gives us more illustrations because he always has more. He says, in him we were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision. And when we were buried with him in baptism, we were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead. And you know, spiritual circumcision is good news to anybody who's been told as an adult you got to get physical circumcision. Why? Because this meant that circumcision was something that happened internally in us. Elsewhere, Paul calls this the circumcision of our hearts, that we have circumcised hearts in the sense that we have turned over our lives to God and truly declared him as Lord and Savior of our lives in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you don't need surgery because the evidence of that shows in your life. You don't need circumcision because your outward signs are fruits of the Spirit that other people can clearly see. And then, of course, the image of baptism is one we are all familiar with, right? The washing away and the cleansing of our sins, the pouring out of grace of God on our lives, the filling and the new life that comes when we emerge from baptism into a new walk with Jesus. 
You see, baptism is a sign of an outward, an outward sign of an inward and spiritual grace. When we go to baptism, Jesus has already washed away our sin. We have already made a confession in our hearts. And baptism becomes a sign, an outward sign of what Jesus has already done inside. But as Christians, we have to have both the spiritual circumcision and the baptism that declares our faith in Jesus Christ. Our hearts must be changed, but also we must accept that he has washed away our sin. You know, I meet a lot of Christians that walk around like they're still not forgiven and still paying the price for their sin. When Jesus already took all that sin to the cross. He took the sin to the cross. And the scripture tells us that he paid the full penalty of it. So that we wouldn't have to. Yet how many times does the enemy remind us of all of our misgivings. And all of our missteps. To try to discourage us in our journey. But remember that all of this, all of this stuff that Paul is sharing goes back to the initial point, the initial image of being rooted and built up in Christ because it is our faith in Christ Jesus and what God has already done for us that brings us to the newness in life. It is what God did, not what we do, that brings us to salvation. The cross is a place of triumph, even though for the world it's a place of defeat. I want to say that again. The cross is a place of triumph, even though for the world it's a place of defeat. Because it was there that my Savior bled and died for me. And it was there that I was made right with God through Jesus Christ. And it was there that God took my trespasses and put it as far as the east is from the west. But boy, we are so bad about going to the west to look for them. We are so bad about wanting to recapture them and reclaim them when Jesus has already paid the price. But why does Paul go to such great lengths to explain the foundations of our faith? Why does he spend so much energy explaining the divinity of Jesus and the saving work that he does in our lives? Because he is truly concerned that we are easily distracted by philosophies and human traditions. That we are swayed easily by beliefs and even spiritual beings. You see, in, in a world where God creates and walks away and is not in contact with his creation, then angels become the intermediaries, the mediators. And in Colossia, they even had started worshiping angels instead of worshiping God. They had started elevating angels instead of elevating Christ. And anything we put in the place of Jesus becomes an idol, even heavenly beings. 
Do not let this happen to you. That is the story of the Colossians. Do not let this happen to you. Do not let people disqualify you from God's saving work because they look at your past sin and go, yeah, you're not worthy. You can't come in. Do not let them put preconditions to you coming to Christ. I always tell people, come as you are. God does the cleaning. God does the restoration. God does the renewing. And God will be the one that will lead you in what needs to change in your life. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on you having to be a Christian in their image. Because the only image that we are to follow is that of Christ. You know, we, we just do so much comparative religion. You know, I am better than that neighbor down the street, so I must be a good Christian. When the reality is that none of us measures up to the stature of Christ. You know, sometimes I have the kids do this exercise where they, I ask them to jump as high as they can. And then I ask them to point out the, the tallest person, usually Durrell, and he gets up here and he jumps as high as he can. And then I say, which one of them touched the ceiling? And they all go, well, nobody did. And I said, that's us. We never meet the stature of Christ. So how do we change the light bulbs? There's a lift brought in. And the lift takes the person from ground level all the way up there to change those bulbs. Jesus is your lift. Jesus lifts you from where you are into the presence of the Father. And nothing else can bridge that gap. Nobody else can bridge that gap. Nothing you do can earn you or make you worthy of bridging that gap. It is the righteousness of Christ that lifts us up to the presence of the Father. Another reason for disqualification among the Colossians was that some had visions and other spiritual gifts. And then when others didn't have it, they looked at them and said, well, you haven't had any visions, have you? You must not be a Christian. You must not be a follower of Jesus. We all have visions over here. We all have these gifts. Anytime somebody tells you that you're not a Christian because you're not like them, that should be a red flag. Now, if they say you're not a Christian because you're not like Jesus, then that might be something to ponder. But we are not here to compare ourselves to each other when it comes to holiness because only God can see the heart. And only God knows if you're truly a believer in him and have trusted Jesus Christ. In the final imagery of the scripture, he talks about Jesus as the head, and he says, as everything in the body is held fast to the head with sinews and tendons and everything else, and it nourishes the whole body, this is how Christ is with us. And the question I have for you is, is Christ your head? Is he the one that has total and complete authority over you. Or like I've heard Jim say before, do you retain veto power on certain things? 
And do you hold back and say, yeah, you have full authority, just leave my wallet alone. Or you have full authority, but leave my social life outside. Or you have full authority, but leave this part of my life intact. Do we truly allow Jesus to be the head that brings life to the body and direction and wisdom to our walk? In Jesus, we are truly complete. And it is not something that is achieved by us or something that we work out. It is something that is so. There's a reason Jesus is always the right answer. It's because he is. Because he is all in all. And when you have Jesus, you have everything. And when you don't have Jesus, you're totally lost. I pray that we are rooted and built up in Christ as Paul encouraged the Colossians to be, that we might continue to walk faithfully in Jesus' footsteps, not based on what other people say, but based on what he shows us through his own example. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, O Lord, because whenever the enemy comes to try to tell us that we are not worthy, you remind us that we are righteous through the righteousness of Christ. And whenever, O oh Lord, we are concerned, O oh Lord, about our role in your kingdom, you remind us that there's a special place for each and every one of us. That, O oh Lord, any time that we are feeling insecure, you remind us that we are secure in the rock and the foundation of Jesus. Help us, Lord, on this day simply to continue to be built up in you to have you as our firm and strong foundation and to know, O Lord, that you continue to work in our lives to help us to grow in faith. In Jesus Christ we pray, amen. The altar is open. It's open if you need to be reminded that there's already victory in Jesus. It's open if you need to be reminded that you are secure in Christ. It's open if you just need a time alone with the Lord. He is here this morning. Let us worship.